Welcome to TechTastic, the podcast that explores the cutting-edge world of technology and its impact on society. New breakthroughs and developments are revolutionizing the world around us, presenting exciting opportunities as well as complex challenges. We'll explore the big ideas and key players driving these transformations as we seek to understand the implications of these advancements for our lives, our communities, and our planet. Join us on this journey of discovery and exploration as we navigate the fascinating and ever-evolving world of technology. This is TechTastic. Today with me on TechTastic, I have Chris Hood, an internationally recognized voice, thought leader, and digital strategist. With over 35 years of experience in online business and technology development. He's the former head of innovation and strategy at Google and has 35 years of experience in business and technology development. Chris, welcome to TechTastic. Great to be here as well. Looking forward to the conversation. Thank you. So one of the things that we talk about a lot this season on It's Techtastic is AI and how it's changing the dynamic in like just about every space. You talk a lot about innovation, acceleration, uh, empathy for your customer. What I would really like to talk with you about is how you think AI is going to impact like that digital transformation aspect. Yeah, sure. As you said, AI is having an immense impact on a lot of areas of our businesses and even our personal lives. We're seeing it all across the board. Now, when we think about how it's actually impacting us individually, that's because we are customers. And when we engage with businesses, we want sort of a level of personalization. And yet we also want a human connection with the companies that we're engaged with. So it's very interesting to see how companies are balancing that by providing personalization and automation and additional resources that can be unlocked faster. We talk about things like customer support and customer service. So if we think though about that human connection and we get into an area like customer support, there is a company in India that just laid off 90% of their customer service reps because they wanted to replace them with AI and said, look, AI is faster, AI is more accurate. And yet what I argue is that this is a short-term fix because ultimately a consumer is going to try to leverage those chatbots. We've all been there already before. We go in, we get a chatbot, it comes up with a generic answer. It doesn't answer our question. And what's the first thing we wanna do? We wanna to talk to a real person. The number of times we've sat on a phone call with support yeah. and we're like, look, I just wanna to talk to a real person. That's the problem that we're encountering right now AI is great with certain areas, but it's still not quite there to give us the full support that we're looking for and that human connection. Do you think that that's just a matter of time though? Like some of the AI chatbots have become so, like people are having them as their girlfriend or, you know, they're becoming so much more personable and human. Well, all that is doing is it's trained to learn and evolve and to adjust to what you, whatever your preferences are. You mentioned like AI girlfriends, sure you know, AI boyfriends, whatever you want to say, all that's doing is saying like, what's your favorite color? Red. Mm. Okay. Now I'm going to always remember it. And at some point in time, I'm going to say, oh, I'm you, we might forget that we told them the AI that our favorite color was red, but all it, that's all it's doing is it's got that into database. It's building a profile from understanding true human emotions. Consider this type of scenario. Let's say that you are struggling for the month. Uh, you're going to be late on a bill. The first thing you want to do is call and ask for an extension. Now you get to an AI and the AI is going to run you in a circle because it doesn't necessarily know that you're stressed in that moment and that you're not going to be able to pay the bill. 
But could we imagine an AI that senses that you are stressed and automatically says, you know what, it sounds, well, how do we know how, what it sounds like, but it sounds like you might be a little frustrated or a little stressed. Let me hand this over to a real person. Or, you know what? Yes, I'm going to grant you this extension to your payment because I can tell I'm going to be empathetic with you in that moment. And I can tell that you are experiencing this distraught, you know, feeling. Are we there yet? No. Can we get there? Sure. But through all of that, it's still a simulation. You still need some level of human interference, if you want to call it, to ensure that that is happening in the way that is going to be empathetic to the customer. Now, the empathy part's a big part of it. Here's where I'll push back on it. I think that a lot of companies are, they, they know that by letting you get what you want, the thing that you want is to cancel my subscription or to uh, do something that they don't want. So they put up a lot of barriers in the way. They're intentionally unempathetic to their customers because they know they've got you trapped. Oh yeah, definitely. But then what's the first thing you do? You cancel the contract anyways, and you go on to somewhere else. Right. Like you can put all the borders. I was working with a company literally last week and I went to try to cancel the account. There was no way online to be able to cancel the account. So I had to go through an email process, explain the situation, and they said, well, why are you canceling? I said, I'm gonna make it really simple. You do not provide me with a way to cancel. That's why I'm canceling. The way that we approach a lot of business decisions, we try to be strategic, we try to be like, we do try to think of our customer first if you're a, however, a lot of decisions end up getting made in the technical choices, whether it's just the script we give our people to, to deal with or the process we put in place or the actual code that's been written. And what's interesting to me about AI is that it can actually put that front and center the strategy, the strategy level decisions that you've made become very, very clear instead of being so buried down. And, and I'll give you an example back to your uh, customer service piece, right? That, that whole barrier to canceling the account. It might make sense to the CEO and executive board that we want people to have that ability because we don't want them to, be, to hate us and never come back. We want them to have a good experience and leave. However, in our processes and in our, in our incentives that we put in place for the people, we do the opposite. We make it so that like, hey, you get dinged, you, you won't get your bonus if you have a 50% cancellation rate or whatever that incentive is. And so what the technology allows us to do is to get the human incentive piece out and put in place the overarching business value you know, proposition that we were trying to do from the beginning. And we screwed up with our human incentive structures. Well, what I would argue is in both scenarios, whether it's the technology piece or the business piece or the focus of the sales or the focus of the cancellation, the metrics on how many cancellations and holding individuals accountable for that, all of that is a flawed model. Yes. When we think about a customer-centric organization, our first and foremost thought is the customer. We're not holding people accountable because they've canceled a subscription. That's a business-focused structure. We're not looking at metrics that are going to balance out like, well, hey, you know, we don't want people to cancel because we want that business. That's just a ludicrous idea. And any business out there that is thinking in that capacity is losing their customers and eventually is gonna go out of business because all you're doing is alienating your customer base. When you are focused too much on the profits, the technology, the integrations, the metrics of the business and not on the customer, you're not focused on the right area because it's a simple mathematic. If you have your customers, 
you have your business. Yes. If you don't have a customer, you don't have a business. So focus on the customer first in every single decision that you make and then decide what the metrics and the processes and the internal calculations are going to be, but you still have to serve that customer base first. I feel like saying amen. <laughs> Go for it, just say it. <laughs> yes. Amen, brother. Amen. I've been pulled into a lot of broken organizations and brought in to fix them. That's been the last like 10 years of my career. And the number one thing I always go back to is that exact point. Who do we serve? We serve our customers, right? Is the decision you are making right now in the best interest of your customer? No. Then why'd you make it? Well, because my bonus is tied to it or because of, then then throw that away. It's a terrible procedure. It's a terrible whatever. Get rid of it. This, this is the part uh, that I loved about reading through uh, some of the things that you've written is that empathy towards the customer. And it's sometimes hard to get that. And I'll, I'll give you an example of a place that I was at. I'm not going to say the name of the company because it'll this is kind of an embarrassing story, but they did this big project in which they had a, a bunch of engineers working on a transformation thing. And at the end of it, the engineer that was running it got up and gave this wonderful presentation. And as he walked off the stage, he said, basically, I still don't know who the customer is. And my immediate gut reaction without hesitation was to turn to the head of engineering of that group and say, stop the rollout right now. Do not push this live. And everybody started fighting me on it instantly. Like, well, we've got a year and a half in this project. And I'm like, but the people that were developing it have no idea who they were doing it for. I guarantee you it's it's gonna have just hundreds of problems baked into it. We have to stop this rollout. And thank goodness we did because some of the decisions they were made were just made off of what the engineer knew or what the product manager assumed without any idea of who they were serving and why. This technology piece is so critical and it's one of the hardest things for organizations to wrap their heads around. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to an organization in a similar situation as you, and they've said, look, we're going to bring in this technology. We'll, we'll talk about AI as a prime example. I had a conversation a month ago with somebody and the CEO said, look, we've got this big event. We're doing this whole big thing, a new product around AI. And I asked the simple question, why? And they said, well, it's the thing. It's what everybody's talking <laughs> about. I go, yeah, but has your customers asked for it? Well, no, but we know that this is a big thing. We want it. I was like, have your customers asked for it? Well, no, we haven't talked to our customers about it. Then why are you wasting the time and money on it? Yes. Because if you cannot very clearly, no matter what the technology decision is in your entire organization, if you cannot directly associate that technology decision back to a customer value proposition, then there is no point in investing in it or doing it. You're just wasting people's time and money. And you're probably going to upset your customer. You're not only going to upset your customer, you're upsetting your internal culture. Oh, yeah. The, the number of times that you have leaders that are like, biased decisions. I'm going to bring in a technology. Why? Well, because I'm the CTO and <laughs> I want to bring it in and I want to play with it. You're wasting people's time and money. And all that's building is resentment within your organization when those technology decisions are not aligned with what your customers are asking for. That's it. Uh, Why waste the money and time? The previous company is that I will share their name because everybody knows it already. It's a failed blockchain company that was a partnership between two very large companies. And the whole point, as far as I could tell, was to do something innovative and to be blockchain. These two big companies were like, blockchain, blockchain, blockchain. When you got into the middle of it, the customers are like, well, what do you do? What, what, what problem are you solving for me? Didn't have a good answer, right? But the employees were all from these two large companies 
And so this was an opportunity for them to do something. We're gonna go do this startup-y thing. We're gonna play with blockchain. So my, you know, my resume is now valid. I'm contemporary with all my peers that I've, but I've been stuck in this big old company. So it was demotivating when I said, why the hell are we using blockchain for this? I don't even understand the problem we're trying to solve. All of a sudden I had a bunch of people morbidly depressed. They, they were ready to leave because I questioned the fundamental value that they were there for. And so how, when you're in that big company and you've got that almost playground mentality, I, I know what I did. I'm curious what you would do in that spot. I would argue that if you can't tell me what the value proposition is for the customer, then we stop doing it. You know, it, 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 granted, it's easier said than done because you are getting into large organizations that are like, well, we, you know, we've got extra. They'll even argue that this is research, right? All yes. we're doing is researching. Yes. But you still have to say, look, okay, your R&D has to still go back to a value proposition. If you're starting with your customer and you say, hey, there is a problem that our customers are having, or we've received feedback and we see trends in the customer base moving in this direction, and we're going to get technology in to research to solve that problem, you've got your customer value proposition. If you're just saying, hey, look, AI is the next big trend and we're gonna bring it in, look, blockchain to me is the next big trend. Blockchain has no relative value for anyone in this entire world right now. I know I'm going to get a lot of people pissed <laughs> off by that statement, but until you've got Jane sitting in Oklahoma going to McDonald's and using blockchain to buy a Big Mac, you have no business, right? That's a hobby. Sure, there's a lot of blockchain <laughs> companies out there and I've worked with them. You've got a legitimate business in fintech, not in blockchain. Blockchain was invented in the video game industry with virtual currencies. Like yeah. the next evolution of that might be something fabulous, but today it's 1% of the business world. You're saying almost the exact same things that I was saying. As I walked into the situation, I assumed they were doing very intelligent things. So the, the space was logistics, supply chains, global trade. And the problem that you have is that you have a bunch of parties that don't trust each other. You've got a big ocean shipper, you've got a you know a truck driver, but they all have to share data. They don't, they won't, because there's not a way to safely do it. And so to me, it was like, oh, actually weirdly, blockchain makes sense to solve this problem. We need to be able to share data through a bunch of untrusted parties in a trusted network. So I can share it with the down, you know, I can share with the downstream participants. That's not what they were doing. They were doing much more the, what can we use blockchain to do? Oh, we have all these pieces of paper that nobody pays for that we're now gonna transform into digital documents and share it. And it was like, it just doesn't make sense. I'm on the same uh, wavelength with you on the blockchain side. Like there are a couple places I could see it being useful, but there's probably easier ways of solving that same problem without such an expensive, burdensome technology. Yeah, you talk about logistics, there's API ecosystems yes. out there that are now being monetized, <laughs> which is building direct trust and partnerships with organizations. There's an organization in, I want to say the Netherlands, that has an API ecosystem that they're monetizing and building an entire logistics platform. And they're generating an additional $1 million a month in just connecting with APIs across all of those companies that don't trust each other. Yeah. So they're paying for it. You don't need blockchain to do it. Yeah, blockchain is just an expensive way of solving the same problem. Same problem. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing when people want to reinvent the wheel. And yet we see that all the time in tech, especially with AI. Oh yeah. Right now I am seeing a post a day that says, hey, we've got a new product that uses AI to uh, solve marketing. 
Yeah, so does a thousand other people out there right now. Like, are you not doing your research? There's kind of two ways that most entrepreneurs go about finding their thing, right? The ones that are successful are the ones that take your approach, which is to say they look into a space or they're deeply embedded already. They see something and they're like, ah, oh, this is terrible for the customer. I can solve that problem. Now, how do I solve that problem, right? The ones that aren't successful, which I see a lot more of, they're like, oh, AI, what can I do with AI or blockchain? What can I do with blockchain? It's like, that's exactly it. Every idea I've ever had started with, what is the problem I'm trying to solve? This goes back, innovation goes back to the dawn of man. I need to cook something, wow, fire, <laughs> right? It starts with the problem. The electric light bulb started with what's the problem? Yeah. And consumers bought it because it solved a problem. Washing clothes was a problem. So the, the washing machine was solved for the problem, for the consumer. It always starts with a consumer first, the problem second, the solution third. And all the bad companies out there, Shark Tank, the show is filled with these. Oh, man. They're starting with the solution and then trying to figure out how to finagle uh, how it solves something and then try to find a customer base that's going to buy it. They're working backwards. Yeah, totally backwards. And there are occasions, I'll give you one example of an occasion where something kind of in between happened, but it's because the entrepreneurs recognized that they had built something that solved a problem for somebody. They, they built it for some other purpose and went pivot over to there, Slack, right? So they built a tool that allowed them to build their video game, their massively multiplayer online role-playing game that they were working on, distributed and build in you know API endpoints to connect up all their tools. And they went, wait a second, I wonder if other people have the same problem we did. We built it for ourselves. So they were building it for themselves and they knew the pain and the problem they were solving. And this is the one that people always throw in my face when I give this, when I give the example of like, you start with who, then what pain they're, they're trying to solve. And then you figure out how to do it and deliver it. And they're like, Slack, this is exactly what Slack did. They just, they were, they were doing something different. They weren't finding a market for their game, really. I mean, it's kind of did okay, but nothing to write home about. And they built something to solve their own problem. So they had the empathy because they were the customer. And then they said, who else feels this pain? Oh, others that are doing something like us. It was a brilliant business. And so I, I put that out there, not as a question, as a way to argue with my audience about a topic that keeps coming up. Well, I will just add a little bit to that. It's not that, yes, they solved the problem. Yes, they, they had a solution. They adapted their solution to solve additional problems for the consumer. They still have that consumer in mind. We see a lot of organizations that are able to adapt and a lot of organizations that don't adapt. Blockbuster obviously is oh, yeah. the most critical, obvious one. They had a product, they refused to adapt to the changing trends that their customers were asking for. Netflix continues to evolve and adapt based on what their consumers are asking for. So it's not just like, oh, we've got this product. Now, if Slack said, well, that solves this problem, we're going to continue to use for that for that problem. Well, then they're going down the same problem, the same path as a blockbuster. It's the companies that can recognize as trends change and as consumer demands and needs aspirations change and be able to pivot. That's the successful companies. If I'm at a company right now, or I'm the CEO of a company right now, and I'm not sure if we're doing this the right way, I'm not sure if we're the next Dex, Yellow Pages, Blockbuster. How would I figure that out? How would I determine if we're on the right path? Well, I'll go into 
you know, self-promotion here, obviously. I, I wrote a book on this. So I wrote a book called Customer Transformation. And the basic premise of it is that your customers' needs and aspirations are continuously evolving, and you have to be able to keep up with that continuous evolution. As we've talked about, a lot of times people want to think about it from the inside out. They want to say, well, here's our business, here's our technology, here's our solutions, here's our culture, and we're going to shove that down our consumers' throats. But the reality is, is that we see constantly that customers are the ones that are evolving and the technology and the business has to be able to align with that continuous transformation. So my book, Customer Transformation, provides a seven-step strategy for how to do that. And it starts with the customer, as we've talked about, and it ends with the business and how that business must continuously align all of their internal operations, processes, culture, technology to meet that expectation of the consumer. Chris, it was lovely having you on. I'd like to have you on again in the future if you're interested. Um, Absolutely. And uh, listeners, if you want to find out more, the best place to go is chrishood.com. You can subscribe to his podcast, blog, social media, and stay informed about his upcoming book, um, all of it at chrishood.com. And that's a wrap for this episode of TechTastic. I want to thank you personally for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Until then, keep exploring and stay curious.